All right, we're in a prayer series. If you're taking notes, this one's called Take Heart, and I'm gonna try to wrap it into a prayer series. I'm not convinced this teaching has anything to do with the prayer series, but it came through prayer, and so it counts. Um, the true backstory to this week, I was praying with some people, and then after that prayer, I, I felt led to call Gentry and to Luke Lowe's and, and, and just hit my knees with them, and we just started praying some more. And I want to be cautious how I, like, capture what happened, but there are moments sometimes when I pray for our church uh, and pray for direction that, well, there's moments where I hear nothing, feel nothing, and I'm like, man, I don't know what to do. I guess we'll just, like, do something. But then there's other moments where it feels like, God, something happens. I believe it's the Lord. Just, like, drop something in your brain, like, the whole sermon. Just bow. I need you to say this. People need to hear this. And uh, that's what happened this week. So I'm not, I want you to hear me in humility. I'm not saying, hey, this word is directly from God. Like, listen. But I'm also not not saying that. (laughs) You know? So let's just sit in that uncomfortable in-between together. But I, I guess I just, I humbly ask you to have attentive ears and explore what, what God might want to say to you through this word um, that I'm calling Take Heart. I made that. <laughs> Look at that little boat. Does anyone remember swimming lessons? Did anyone get those as a kid? Can you literally raise your hand? Okay. Okay. That's what I thought, but I actually wasn't sure. I didn't know I remembered swimming lessons until I did this week. And I have a very small, short memory of swimming lessons. It's about three seconds long. And it's of me saying, help, help. And the lifeguard jumps in and rescues me. That's literally all I remember about swimming lessons. (laughs) I think it starts with floaties and you're just pretending to know how to swim, you know? I'm doing it. No, you're not. You're floating. (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) But then at some point, you know, if you want to swim, you got to take the floaties off. And so there I am, Mayfield, Kentucky, Oak Hill Pool, took the floaties off, and within four seconds, I'm convinced I'm dying. And you know what? To be fair, I was. If the lifeguard didn't jump in, I would have. So I was like, you know, help me. This lifeguard's probably 16, got a summer job, saving up money to buy cigarettes underage, like probably someone with not that much training. (laughs) But in that moment, they were my only call to help. (laughs) And of course, from the lifeguard's perspective, I'm just some shrimpy five-year-old who thinks he's dying, who's totally fine in a three-foot pool, you know, jumps in and rescues me. Yeah, no, seriously, (laughs) it it was so bad. And, uh, you know, I look back on that moment, and, and with hindsight, very simple lesson here. In order to learn how to swim, at some point, the floaty's got to come off, you know? That should, be the, that should be the sermon title. Take the floaties off. But at some point, you got to get in the water and start figuring out which arm motions work and which arm motions certainly do not, which breathing methods work and which don't. And often it starts with getting in there and going, okay, all I know is what doesn't work right now, but here I am. And 
all the while you're surrounded by the safety of the lifeguard, everything's gonna be fine, but you feel that panic. But man, at some point, as a kid, to learn how to swim, you gotta get in the water, and, and that's kind of what today is all about. I felt like God being like, man, at some point, if you wanna grow in your faith with God, if you wanna grow in your relationship with God, you gotta jump out the boat. You gotta, you gotta hop onto the mysteries of the water. And so we're gonna look at this story in Matthew chapter 14. And there's a big group of people and only one gets out the boat. We're gonna just explore this a little bit together. So this is out of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, nope, 33. This story is pretty cool. Joe, can you hand me my water right there? Thank you. All right, Matthew 14. If you've got a phone, It's not weird, pull that out. You can Google it. I'd love for you to read this with me. Verse 22. Right before this moment, by the way, Jesus had just been preaching to like 5,000 or more people and no one had food. And so the disciples are like, send them home. And Jesus is like, nah, we're gonna feed them. And so he just like blesses some bread and fish. It multiplies, big time miracle. So after a long day of ministry and miracles, Jesus sends the disciples, he says, hey, get in the boat, go on home. I'm gonna go up to this mountain and pray. See you you after a while. And the disciples had no idea where they'd be meeting Jesus next. So here we go. So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat that the disciples are in by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let us explore. So I wanna start out by asking a simple question that's really important um, to keep in mind throughout the whole story. Who's in the boat? The disciples are in the boat. Now that's important because we need to understand everyone in the boat is a follower of Christ. Everyone. Everyone in the boat, to some degree, really believes in Jesus. And it's, nothing, it's not like a faith to be very dismissive about. They have, on some level, reoriented their entire life to follow Christ. I don't think it's like a fake faith or a cheap faith or a pharisaical faith. It's like a genuine, they believe in Jesus. And just as importantly, Jesus had called out to everyone in the boat at one point in time. Jesus had chosen them. Follow me, right? So everyone in the boat had chosen to follow Jesus, but also had the awareness Jesus has also chosen me. So there's a real belonging here. There's a real I belong to Jesus 
in this, in this space. But let's get more specific because now we're going to go into some subgroups, all right? There's group A, Peter, and there's group B, everyone else. Those are the two groups that work here, and I want to really break down both groups because I'm telling you, when I was praying for our church and like, just like, God, what do you want for our church? Man, it, it was just, it was crystal clear to me. Group B was really important. Everyone else, what's their deal? So let's recap it. They see a ghost. They realize it's Christ. They see Peter call out to Jesus. They hear Jesus call out to Peter. They see Peter walk on water, and yet they stay in the boat. And I just kind of got captivated, like what was on their minds? These are people that genuinely care they, they really left their families, like follow Christ. They believe in him. They follow him. They had just witnessed him feeding thousands. A few chapters before that, they were, giving, they were given anointing and power to heal and to do miracles. And there they are seeing Christ on the water, seeing their, their guy, Peter, on the water. And on some level, they know this is real. This is happening. This is real life. But I think it's a key distinction from them and Peter. They are clearly at a point in their journey where they are more comfortable observing the mysteries of faith in Jesus than they are exploring them for themselves. They are in the boat watching Christ do really cool things through really obedient followers, but from a safe distance and on a heart level, there is a line that they have not crossed yet. That line where faith begins to supersede logic, fear, skepticism, doubt. And to be really clear, it's a line that I believe Jesus is very invested in getting them to cross. I think that if Jesus had his way, every person in that boat gets out. Only one thought to ask. And I just felt this reality. I love the boat. It's dry. It floats. If I'm in the boat, I'm not cold and wet. And I'm still close to Jesus and I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that love Jesus. Let me tell you something, the boat is awesome. It's amazing, it's safe, I feel comfortable. I'm not often in sin when I'm in the boat. It required some faith to get there. I believe in Jesus from the boat. We're Gucci, we're good. Does anyone else prefer life in the boat? Like, Man, I'm comfortable. I love reading the word. Love it. It's great. I believe in it. I think God is in that. Speak to me. Love it. Full of faith. I love praying. Holy Spirit, what's up? Let's do this. Love you. Comfortable worshiping. You know what? I love cheering for the people that get off the boat. Way to go. Would you look at that? You ever seen that video, YouTube? 
Just look at it. <laughs> look at their amazing faith. I've got friends moving continents with their entire families for Christ. You know how hard I'm cheering them on? Wow. I've got friends that feel called to fostering multiple children. They already got their own kids. Wow, dude. Way to go. I got friends that prayer walked the city, literally. They Ubered to different parts of the city until they've walked a circle around Nashville. Wow. Way to go, dude. I got friends that take pride in how much money passes through their hands, not stays with them, tithing way more than 10%, giving way more than 10% away, not just the church, to everybody. Wow, dude. I got friends that literally like give their days and their nights to evangelizing people. They baptized six or more people this year. Wow. You know what I love doing? Looking at my homies that are also in the boat going, isn't that amazing high five? God's crazy. Subtly implying, but we're pretty comfy right here, right? If you're here, I'm here. We must be doing something right. And let's just keep cheering them on from a distance. I love the boat. That's amazing. Look at what God's doing. Repost. Everybody look. God's on the move. Through them, 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 and them. Whew. See you Sunday. But there is a reality from the boat. As long as I'm in the boat, there is an absolute line that I am not willing to cross. There is an edge that I am unwilling to step over. And although Jesus is saying, take heart, hey, hey, all of you are disciples, not just Peter, all of you, take heart, hey, have courage, okay? Do not be afraid, something keeps us in the boat. I hope this metaphor is hitting, because if it's not, I'm about to say in the boat 16 more times. <laughs> Naturally, there had to be fear and doubt at play. The first impulse when they see Jesus is fear. It's a ghost. The work of God juxtaposed to what we can see and touch is always a little scary. Their first inclination is not, oh, that's my Messiah. That's my beloved. That's a freaking ghost. <laughs> Watch out. It's scary. Like, what if the water doesn't hold? Even when I hear Jesus, see him work and see Peter on the water, like, that's cool, but like, what if it doesn't hold for me? What if God is not actually, 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 like, for real? What if I sink? What if everything goes wrong, I sink, and God still wasn't real? Like, joke is totally on me. What if this cost me my life and it was all just, like, made up? Scary. I'm thinking about like comfort. Water is cold and wet. Being warm and dry is better. 10 out of 10 times. Not worth the risk. What I know, what feels certain, is almost always more appealing than what is uncertain and what is unknown. And following God and being obedient 
requires us to step into some unknown, some lack of control, and I do not like that. Seriously, I'm not even like being preachy. I do not like it. It's a bummer, not being certain of what's next. Calendars are awesome. (laughs) Thought about logic and skepticism. No matter how much you watch someone walk on water, most of you's not gonna think it's for you. You know, if all of y'all were sitting on water, I would not join you. Yeah, just like it just doesn't make sense to me, right? Like in this post-God era, there are not enough stories in the world I'm, to convince you that he is 100% real in your life. There is a skepticism that can be in some of our minds that we will not think our way through. At the end of the day, Jesus had fed 5,000. He's standing on the water. Peter's standing on the water. And yet the majority of the people in the story are not standing on water. And I hate how uncomfortable this is, but there is a depth and a reality, a real part of faith that you cannot think your way through. You have to live it. Ah. You can't just like think skydiving. At some point, you jump off that stupid plane because you're dumb enough to believe the parachute's gonna open. I'm never skydiving. (laughs) So that hurts my sermon. If you wanna add some depth and some realness to your faith, If you want to see how real God is, you have to be willing to explore the mystery of the water. That's the only way. You have to move from observing to exploring. I'm convinced that we're surrounded by safety nets, preventing a faith that could ever overcome our fear and our skepticism and our doubt and our logic. It's only on the water that Christ can prove a faithfulness that our minds cannot possibly comprehend or understand on their own. It's the ones in the boat that need a faith that refuses to merely observe radical faith, but instead to explore it for themselves. And I just sense that some of us right now, and including me, are unknowingly walking around tight-fisted to the true ways of Christ. Whether it's fear, doubt, or just our love of comfort and control. We don't even know that we're completely closing off some depths that God has for us. And I just, my words will fail here. I can't describe what I'm trying to explain. God made your soul. And I really believe that when we explore the mystery of full surrender, of really going, Jesus, you can have it all. And wherever you say, come, I'm coming. Like, it's only in that place. I kept trying to think of examples. I, there, I don't have them. It, it's, it's when our hearts go, God, it's whatever, dude. Like, and I always seem to call him dude in front of y'all. I don't call him dude anywhere else than when I'm up here. <laughs> He's not that. 
I can promise you this. I, I really feel confident. God has more for your walk with him. And it's not like legalism more. It's not like you gotta try harder. No, I'm just, he has more for you to understand about him, for you to explore with him. I promise you there's more for your walk with God. It's mysterious, it's uncertain, it's full of mountains and valleys, but there's a lot more. But I can also promise you that some of what he has available for you is only available off the boat. You will never get there on the boat cheering on radical faith from a distance. Only when it is your own faith will you find some things out about the Lord. So let's go to group A, Peter, a group of one. And I think this part starts out simpler than we get it credit for. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. That's it. Jesus, if you are calling me, it's yes. We'll figure out the semantics later. We'll figure out the rest later. I'm convinced Jesus goes, or Peter doesn't go, Jesus, if it's you, promise me I won't drown. Promise me. There's a lot of water between me and you. Jesus, if it's you, promise me this water's gonna hold and that I won't have to be scared, Jesus. Promise me I won't doubt. Promise me it's all gonna be good. I'm just gonna pitter-patter across the water and like fist bump, yeah, we did it, and just like dance on the water. Hear the little splashes. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come, game over. That's it. If it's you, tell me to come. You ever heard the phrase, uh, his eyes were bigger than his stomach? It's this idea that you go to the buffet, everything looks good, you leave with two plates, and you're like, I can't, what happened up there? But it all looks so good. You don't want brownies or ice cream? Both, like both. Halfway in, I can't finish this. Your eyes were bigger than your stomach. For Peter, his faith was bigger than his logic. This dude was wide-eyed innocent. Like he just like, whatever Jesus was saying, he was doing it. And at times, that was a real weakness of his. Cuts off a dude's ear, got a little excited. tells Jesus, I'll, I'll literally, literally, I will never deny you. Three times within like 12 hours, denied him. He literally tries to convince Jesus not to die for our sins. He's an overeager guy, <laughs> okay? But you know what the truth is? Jesus saw so much good in that heart that was so zealous to obey, that was slow to consider the circumstances around his obedience, very quick to go, whatever you say, I'm doing it. He was quick to take heart, to have courage, to be fearless. And you know what happens? Peter walks on freaking water. Also cuts off a dude's ear, but he walked on water. And we need to pause there. There are moments where you've been obedient beyond what you thought you were able and you experience real victory. Like this is so worth celebrating. We'll get to the part where he sinks. But that dude was just walking on water for a minute. Hold up. From what I understand, that's the second human in history to do that. Jesus was first, if you didn't. Anyway. But there's another aspect that I think the Christians in this room, and if you're not a Christian, Jesus is incredible, be one. But for the Christians in this room, the people that go, I follow Jesus with my life, not just like I got saved one time, but like I am trying to give my entire life to Christ. I wanna talk about some really important elements that will take us kind of from the milk to the meat in following Christ, that will mature us in our faith. There are trials that only come by faith. 
Trials by faith. How many of us know that? You ever gotten into a trial because you were obedient? You're like, now hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. That doesn't seem fair, right? Stephen, stoned to death. Paul and Silas chains. Elkanah and 1 Samuel begging for a son, just weeping, mourning, just gnashing of teeth. Like, where's my son? Like, the most faithful woman in the middle of a trial. But you can bank on it. The trials that come by faith are for our good. In a world that wants to keep us safe and comfortable and painless and just it's all about us and how we feel every single day, we can miss the fact that trials will do you some good. Peter's walking on water. We wish it would end there. But he starts to sink. He sees the wind. He's afraid. He cries out, Jesus, where, literally, what just happened? How am I the only guy that got out of the boat and I'm the one sinking? How is this happening? Did I mess this thing up? Because from what I can tell, I'm sinking and they're still in the boat dry and fine, right? Has anyone ever gotten to a season of their life where they're like, it seems like all I've tried to do is obey. All my friends tried to do was play it safe and I'm the one that feels lonely and sad. Now, how did that happen? I'm sitting here still single? I'm such a good candidate. <laughs> Look at my obedience in the secret place. How many prayers I got to pray, Lord? I'm really trying to disciple people out here. Where is my husband? Where is my wife? You know, like, you ever like obeyed and been like, what is going on? Why? I seem more scared than everyone else and they're not even trying. Why is this? You know what's crazy? Here's Jesus' response. Not, not a, hey, come here. You all right? Oh, I saw you start to sink there. Not, oh my gosh, oh, Peter, oh, oh, Peter. Oh, paddle, oh, come here. Just pulls him into his bosom. <laughs> Love you. It's okay. I'm here. What's Jesus say? Oh, ye of little faith. Why'd you doubt? Jesus, what? Chill out, dude. Like, hey, hey, hey. Only one of us got out the boat. I don't know where you came from, but I came from the boat. <laughs> Only one guy gets rebuked, but it's here we have to learn. Formation comes by faith. Christ is forming Peter in a way that only Peter is formed in this entire story. This is a maturity conversation. I'm not promising you this is about to feel good. Only Peter experiences the rewards of stepping off the boat. Only Peter learns that when everything fails around me and I begin to sink, Christ will be there in such a tangible way. Only one man feels the rescuing hand of Christ when he thought everything was falling around him. He had, he had all the certainty, Christ is holding me. I used to say this stat all the time. You remember like 20% of what you see, 30% of what you see in here, 70% of what you experience, 80 You guys remember when I was like, I would spit that stat out because I was trying to force you to get in circles and talk to each other? Only one man experiences the rescuing hand of Christ. Peter's gonna learn in this moment, I will never leave you or forsake you, ever. When it feels like everything's falling, because this is not the last time Peter's gonna feel some wind feel some waves. 
Only one man's going to learn so substantially. Eyes on me. Peter, it is so important that you feel all these feelings and that you learn how to respond when you feel all these feelings. And I'm not sparing this lesson from you. You got to keep your eyes on me. When the winds come, the waves come, I mean, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm going to help you get through the trouble. But you got to keep your eyes on me. How many of us know that Jesus often teaches his best lessons to his obedient followers? Don't mishear me. Grace is equal to everybody. It's what's so stunning about God. You'll see it at the end of the story. The criminal on the cross in his last breath receives salvation. He gets the same grace, the same heaven, the same glory that Peter does. It's all the same. But I am telling you, child of God, there are rewards and faith boosts that only come in the mystery of obedience and full abandonment. And with Jesus, when you find yourself obeying and it doesn't pan out the way you thought it would, it's not the storybook you thought, and it almost feels like you're getting rebuked in the midst of being like radically obedient. Understand this, with Christ, a rebuking is a reward. We have to change how we understand what a rebuke from the Lord is. Jesus is doing Peter such a favor. Yes, in the moment he's scared, but also in the future, people will try to take his life if he keeps preaching the gospel. And Jesus is going to want Peter to keep preaching the gospel. Right now, Peter's got to worry about some water. And Jesus is right there like the lifeguard was there for me. But there's going to come a day where they're going to threaten him to death. And if you don't think this moment gave Peter the faith to stand firm, this moment was required on Peter's journey to having such a strong and resilient and vibrant faith that led him to preach a gospel so powerful, 3,000 people come to believe in Acts 2. I don't think you get that sermon without this moment. A good coach that sees someone with a ton of acting potential or singing potential or a good athlete, that good coach coaches that person the hardest. I'm letting you know if a coach has ever let you just slide by, not working on your technique, being lazy, clearly didn't do your homework, they're not, they're not complimenting you. You're not their favorite. They don't see a lot of potential in you. Just telling you that. If a good coach sees potential in you, they will coach you up. Is that true? Ballerina, dancing? I just would assume. If they think you're capable of much, they will demand much. And that is not hate. That is not shameful. That is honoring. Hey, there's more in you. So I'm pushing you. He looks at Peter going, I'm going to build my church on this rock. Don't doubt me. Walk out on this water. Come here and keep your eyes locked in. When God calls us deeper and we hit valleys and we don't feel him and we're confused and we're conflicted and the enemy goes, see, it's not real. He is trying to remove, remove, remove you from your most formative season with Christ. 
Coincidentally, Peter happens to end up being the most bold disciple of the bunch, preaching the best sermons and starting the church. Just coincidentally, right? The guy that gets rebuked just so happens to be the most potent of all the disciples. Take heart, have courage. Where is God calling you off the boat? What I feel in my heart for the church is that there is belief, obedience, a genuine love of God. I think for several of you, that's my gut, I could be completely wrong. This may just be God for me and I misinterpreted it and made it a sermon. But I think that several of you believe in God, but God is saying, hey, I I want you to come deeper. I want you to be closer. I want you to abandon all. I need you to get off the boat. And I, I tried to think of all these like cultural examples that would help bring clarity to what that means for your personal context. What does it mean for a college student to get off the boat? And I just couldn't, I was like, Holy Spirit, just do your thing. We have to get creative with God. Where is God calling you off the boat? But I love how this story ends. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. This is the first time in the book of Matthew that all the disciples declared Jesus to be the son of God. I love this moment of grace. It's not just Peter that professes that surely Jesus is the son of God. It's everyone in the boat. That's Jesus. So if at any point you get tempted to think this was like a a gospel of legalism, we gotta do more, try harder, have more faith. Let the end of this story be just this beautiful reminder. Everyone gets to worship Christ and realize he is the son of God and they are in that boat and they belong to Jesus. This is not a gospel of legalism. This is just a gospel of, hey man, deeper obedience will give you more rewards to your faith. It just will. God will prove himself faithful in ways that he wouldn't have otherwise. He will do things in your soul that would not have happened otherwise. The more you explore. And so in your prayer life, I think it's essential that that we have a really good understanding as a family of Christ, a a robust prayer life. It starts in the inner closet. That's what we've been talking about every week. But it does not end there. Moses' walk with God did not stop at the burning bush. Lord knows it started there. Jesus goes and he prays and he fasts for 40 days to end his ministry or to start his ministry. For the disciples, it did not stop in the boat. It started right there. Lord, will you help our journey with you to start in this place of prayer? I'm yours, I love you, but show me how I step out into the waters of obedience out of this space. Surely, all that you have for me is not just that I have this thriving, personal, one-on-one, private relationship with you. Surely there's something out there for me to follow your spirit into. God, thank you for letting me on the boat. Now, will you show me where you're inviting me out onto the water? And where you say, come, help me to come. Help me to be there. Help me to say yes. And so I feel like we just need to to talk to God on our own. And I have two questions that I want to invite you to reflect on. 
and we're staying with this boat metaphor, and if it's too lofty, I'm sorry. Try to get as specific as you can. But first question, what is keeping you in the boat? And if this question doesn't make sense and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, just like, just spend some time talking to the Lord. Enjoy it. It's all good. But for those that hear the Spirit, like something's tugging at your heart, ask God. Ask Him to search your mind. God, is there anything keeping me on the boat? More comfortable observing radical faith than trying to actually step into it myself. Number two, how is God calling you to leave the boat? And come to him. Lord, is there a place that's actually kind of already been in my heart where I know you're calling me to step out a little further and I just haven't yet? There might be something that God's been like, hey, stop doing that. It's not forming you. It's not helping you. It is holding you back. And you've just been like keeping it at arm's length. And today he's like, hey, today you stop for real. You stop doing that and instead you're going to do this to explore me. I'm going to stop. I think we need to pray. Yeah. Father, I just, I pray for us to have a real conversation with you this morning. I'm tempted to feel a little insecure. This feels just kind of like, what's the boat? What the, what's the metaphor here? What's going on? But Lord, I I do trust you in this. And I pray God, I, I really trust that you are mysterious in some ways, but also very certain in some ways, that when we choose to abandon what we know into the mystery of obedience, what we do not know, but just like following your footsteps, following your ways, that you are certain that you will meet us in those spaces. And so God, will you, any ambiguity that is in our minds, will you bring clarity Jesus, I mean, we want to love you, like for real. We want to love you, Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to come to you, Jesus. Will you help us right now? Will you help reveal what keeps us in the boat? What are we scared of? What are we skeptical of? What are we doubting? What are we fearful of, God? Will you show us? Father, right now, I just I ask, will you make it clear where you're calling some of us to? Holy Spirit, please go to work on our hearts and minds. We want to open our hearts to you. We trust you in Jesus' name. All right, so we're going to spend probably like a good seven minutes with these two questions, and I just invite you to pray and talk to God, and it helps me to journal sometimes, so if you want to write your thoughts down, that might help. I just invite you to open up your heart in this moment. We'll go about another minute um, as we do. If you're on the inside chair, every other row has communion. If you want to take one and pass it down, keep praying. I'm going to share some things in a few moments.
I'm going to share what I wrote down. Maybe, perhaps it would help someone else. What was the first one? Yeah. Um, I wrote down, keeping me in the boat, I just, in an attempt to micromanage my, like, rest, I turn off completely when I get home. And for a season, that was good. Like, I was trying to, like, you know, emotional boundaries, just all the boundaries, all the emotional health boundaries. But what I found is, what, I, what I'm seeing now, I think I've lingered in that season too long. I think I've done a good job setting boundaries, but now I'm like stifling the spirit completely. The most fun thing about walking with God is walking with God. Like the, the, the most fun thing about the fact that God's alive is he's alive with you when you're worshiping, praying, reading, and making breakfast, making dinner, going to bed. Like he's always there. And I love that. I love walking with the spirit and, and praying like very chill prayers. Like, Lord, I love you. I know you're here. You know, we in the building together. <laughs> like, just like walking with him. And in my attempts to like rest, I've just totally cut off my prayer life from five to bedtime. And I miss him. I miss him in my home. And I've been thinking about my doorway lately, my front door. And like, oh, I want that front door to symbolize something for this season. When I walk that doorway, almost picture like streaming water and I just walk through it. I just get clothed in the spirit. Like, God, I want my home to be the most worshipful place in my life. I want that to be a place where the spirit is vibrant. For my wife, like, unlimited prayer for, for Leah. I can just, whenever I want, can intercede on her behalf. What a, I mean, what an honor. Like, that's crazy. What a luxury to be able to slow down for five minutes and just pray. Every, anyway, but I've kind of cut that off in my life. And so I, I think my step is, is seriously like, Lord, teach me to walk through the door and for eight seconds go, hey, you're here. And will you help my brain start remembering your presence until bedtime? Like, and just want to slowly let that seed grow. I'd be curious if one or two people would be willing to stand and share what they thought about. I think there's one or two willing to share. So I'm going to chill.